0: Before we uh, go and have our sermon, I'm going to take a few minutes uh, to talk to you just informally about our building and the progress that's being made. And GECU is planning to move out of the building the end of this month. Uh, They plan to be finished. Uh, They're going to keep the building through April to continue moving stuff out. And so we should have some limited access to the building beginning of March, and hopefully we'll be able to actually start our construction May 1st. So and our goal is to have the renovations completed by maybe the end of June or early July. If, it, if we can do that, I think we'll be doing well. Pray that there aren't any delays, please, because that's going to be the real challenge, is not uh, having any delays. We have uh, up here, we've put some of the, the preliminary drawings and uh, floor plan of the building. Uh, the cross will be, uh, uh, may, it'll be extremely large. It's going to fill up the entire wall there as you can see it. The floor plan is there, uh, again, too small for you to see. Uh, but we should be able to put in uh, pretty easily about 240 uh, chairs, which is about 100 more than what we have in here. So it'll provide us with good seating. Those are the chairs if, that we've, uh, I just uh, paid the uh, the initial part of the, the half deposit, so the chairs will be uh, coming. They're, and they are, in fact, that exact chair. So you can look at it, sit on it, touch it, and, uh, and next week I'll be asking you to buy it. So, okay. so anyway, that's, that's uh, where we're at. But Sal's our project manager. The session asked him to do that, and so he is our official project manager, along with uh, uh, Rick Johnson. So those two men will be leading the project Sal has done an amazing, I don't want to embarrass him, but I can't tell you what he has done. And so uh, please give him a hug and thank him uh, appropriately uh, many times over the next few weeks. He's going to need to pray for him. He's going to need a lot of energy. (laughs) So uh, be praying for him and pray for us uh, uh, as we proceed. Yeah, It's going to be beautiful. Uh, We're trying to really do a nice job. We've got a tight budget, um, as you all know. Uh, but we're going to do the best we the best we can with what we have, and uh, the chancel design. I wish you could see it a little bit better, but look at it afterwards. He, the Jeff uh, Huff, our architect, has done a amazing an amazing job uh, with uh, to make this beautiful and uh, very nice. So, anything else? Nothing. So uh, let's pray. Let's pray for our building uh, real quickly, and for our future out there in that part of El Paso. Uh, Father, we we don't even know how to begin thanking you for what you've done of all the places that we looked over these many years at least since I've been here uh, we've looked at literally dozens of locations all across town from from the far west side to central to even into the east side of El Paso and and you have brought us many opportunities and they just haven't materialized and but in all of them everything that we looked at from one end of the city to the other, we have not found anything that was even close to this. And so we know that You were in Your providence um, retaining this building for us, preparing it for us, and preparing us for it. Um, my, my greatest prayer, Father, for our church family, for me and for every member of this church, is that we will never lose sight of Jesus Christ our Lord as the true temple and the final temple that the building is not an end in itself it's just the means of carrying on the work of your great kingdom and if we had to we had to worship in a tent in a parking lot father it would be okay that you have always been with us you have surrounded us with your loving grace and tender mercies and for that we are eternally grateful and we appreciate this building beyond words and are very thankful but we promise, we pledge to you in Christ's name that we will never let that building become the, uh, the center of our attention, as beautiful as it may be, but that Jesus Christ will always be high and lifted up, the King of our soul. And we pray, Father, that you will do that, not only in us, but in every person that comes into our, into our fellowship in the future that Jesus Christ will always be the true and the final temple. And we, living stones in that temple, wherever we are, wherever we may go, for however long we live, every day of our lives, we thank You and praise You. In Your Father's name, in the name of the Son, and in the name of Your blessed Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for those few minutes, folks. In light of the, uh, after our meeting, I I went home and I started thinking about our sermon for today and I thought, you know, I'm going to change, I'm going to change directions. And so if you have a Bible, uh, open them to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at something. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to take a little different stab at it just to kind of help orient us and motivate you uh, and me towards the future. What we're going to be looking at over in uh, this new location. And uh, we'll probably refer to this from time to time. But look at Ephesians chapter 6, a very familiar passage. I'll start reading at verse uh, verse 10 and I'll read uh, to verse 20. This is about spiritual warfare. So now hear God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the methods of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I, I, uh, I grew up, many of you, I think, also grew up with... Uh, these World War II movies, movies, I don't know if you remember, Combat and uh, the Rat Patrol and and other movies, military movies from the 60s and 70s that were uh, often in black and white. And, uh, you know, it would be a little platoon of soldiers and they're fighting the Nazis and and, uh, uh, they're all beat up and kind of, you know, hunkered down somewhere and there's nothing going on. They're smoking cigarettes and eating K-rations out of a can. And... uh, the lieutenant or the captain or the sergeant, whoever's in charge, will get up and he will tell them, move out. You know, let's move out. Time to quit resting and move out. And in a very real way, this is what Paul is telling the church. He's gone through, and we we went through Ephesians last year, and I hope that was meaningful to a lot of you. And we even talked about this particular verse and went through it for several weeks. And uh, and I just want to remind you that... uh, uh, as I said in my, my prayer, the, the building that we're going to, this, this next step in the evolution of Christ the King Church uh, is not an end in itself. It's not the goal that we have all been striving for. And as long I pledge to you, as long as I'm with you uh, as your pastor, hopefully for many years to come, that, I, that we will never lose sight of the fact that the building that we're in, or however many people come, or whatever programs we may start, uh, whatever leadership we have in place, uh, whatever music we do, whatever whatever the life of the church is, and the place itself, the building, is not the end. That is not the goal. It is simply a means to an end. And the end is uh, the the second... Uh, Creation, The new creation. As I told you a few weeks ago, heaven is not our home. Heaven is not the goal of the Bible. The goal of the Bible and the whole progression of Scripture is earth to wilderness to new heaven and new earth. That is the big picture. And that's the picture each of you needs to remember. That's actually, in a microcosm, the story of your life. You come to Jesus and you are freed from slavery. Freed from Egypt. And the great prophet, not Moses, but Jesus Himself, leads you out of Egypt. And He doesn't take you into the promised land. Where does He take you? He takes you to the wilderness. And that's what our life is right now. We are living in the wilderness. We are pilgrims that are making progress through this wilderness in eyes fixed on the future kingdom of God that is to come. We prayed it in the Lord's Prayer this morning. That is the prayer of Christ's church for the centuries through the millennia, whether you're Protestant, Catholic, or Eastern Orthodox, the three great branches of Christianity, we all pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're all looking for that. Nevertheless, during this time Churches are notorious for getting their buildings or getting a program up and running or they'll get rid of one pastor and get a new pastor and think, okay, now everything's going to be okay. And I'm, I have nothing but good news for you today. Everything's not going to be okay. And I want you to be thankful for that because we have been called like uh, those soldiers uh, who have been, you know, resting and kind of catching their breath, we have been called to get up and move out and go into battle. And that is a call that is to every person, no matter your age, no matter your station in life. You may be extremely busy, and I know many of you are. I'm very busy. I know that busyness is a, uh, the disease that the 21st century people have. Uh, perhaps a terminal disease if we don't learn how to, how to reflect on our, our lives properly. But if you get busy and lose sight of the goal, then your busyness is not going to do you any good. And so our job as leaders here in Christ the King, my job is to call you into battle. Going to this new place is going to be a lot of work. And uh, we're not going to sugarcoat it. It's going to be a beautiful place. It's going to be a great place. A great base of operations for us. Uh, But it is not the end in itself. And when we get over there, folks, we cannot rest. We have got to pick up. Uh, our battle gear and, and get on with it. So I'm going to talk uh, to you very quickly, we'll g- do this quick, uh, about three things. Uh, first of all is the old World War II. I think it started in World War II, but it may have actually started before that. Many of you remember the poster of Uncle Sam. Do you all remember that poster of Uncle Sam with his top hat, you know, red, white, and blue? And, and he's got the really cool goatee beard and, and he's pointing and he's saying what? I want you... I want you. So that's the first thing we're going to look at. I want you. And then the second thing we're going to talk about is don't bring a knife to what? A gunfight. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. That's a, I don't know, maybe it's a proverb that John Wesley Harden or somebody, uh, Billy the Kid, came out. I don't know. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. And finally, we'll look, of course, at our divine warrior, our great king. So what about this, I want you? Look at these first few verses here, 10 to 13, and think of of Uncle Sam. But, But as you're thinking about Uncle Sam, get him out of your mind and think about Jesus. Jesus said to you and to me and to his disciples, his apostles, I want you. I want you. I chose you. Now, I know everybody breaks out in hives when you bring up the, uh, the whole uh, idea of election and predestination and choosing and all that, but put all that stuff away for a minute. We, you know, that can be answered uh, and argued about until Jesus comes. And it will be until He comes. And then He's going to settle it and all the Arminians are going to find a trap door that they all fall... Th- no, I can't. No, no, no. Please, uh, don't, don't go out of here and say Chuck says our Arminians are going to hell. Uh, Although, uh, <laughs> no, 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 of course not. Put all that stuff out of your mind for a moment about election and predestination. I mean, just, just forget about it for a second. And just think about this. How did you come to know Jesus Christ? Now, you can tell me anything you want. I already have the answer. I, you know, I'm a good lawyer. I know the answer before I ask the question. So anything you say, if you say, well, you know, I was seeking Him from the time I was a little child. I'm going to say, why? Why? Tell me why you were looking for Him. Well, my heart was just in, hungry for God. Oh, really? Oh, really? So you don't believe in grace anymore. You believe in meritorious salvation. Yes? Say amen, Presbyterians. Alright. No, no, no. Maybe you, you don't believe that. Okay. If it's by grace, folks, and it starts even before you were born, yes, it starts... Before the creation of the world, the Bible says He knew you. He put His love on you. Now, why He does that, I don't know. I don't know why He he does it. And we can argue about the theological ramifications of all that till the cows come home. The fact of the matter is you're here today. And if you're like me, I cannot account for why I am here today. I can't account for it. Other than God reaching into the sewer... The gutter, the filth of a one human being's life, me. Reaching in there and getting himself filthy in the process. Yes, is that, that's the Gospel. Getting himself filthy in the process to lift me out and clean me up. Taking my stain, my sin, my guilt, my shame. All the things that we confess and sing in our hymns. Taking it on himself. I can't account for it other than His grace. I can't. And I hope that that's how you see it as well. When Jesus says to you and me, in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them My commandments. He is saying to every one of you, I want you. And there's a terrible sickness in the church that is one of the many diseases that we have in the church, is that people become complacent and say, well, you know what, that's what we pay Chuck for. And that's why we elected these elders and deacons in our churches, that they got to go out there and do the work. And frankly, I, I can't do all of that. It's too big a job. So he always intended for the call to ministry, let's go, move out, to be to every one of you. And you have to find your calling, the elders and deacons and me, I'm willing to help you look for that. But you have to be willing to go. And this is what Paul is saying. When he says finally, this word finally, and the ESV doesn't do too bad a job with it, but that word in Greek does not mean in conclusion. You know, he's in chapter 6, he's at the end, and you naturally would think, in conclusion, now, now do this stuff with the armor, the spiritual warfare. In conclusion. But really the Greek word means. Henceforth. Or from this time forward. So really Paul is not coming to any conclusion. He's actually gone full circle. And he's coming back and saying. Now we're ready to go. Now we're ready to move out. Now we're ready to saddle up. And get out there and fight. And here's how you do it. Because it's going to be a battle to the end. It's going to be bloody. There's going to be no quarter. No, The enemy. I don't know how many of you know anything about. Satan and his stuff hopefully you know you only stick with what's in the Bible it's not that much it's very interesting that the Bible doesn't spend too much time talking about him why is that you would think he would spend lots and lots of time talking about the devil but it really doesn't because God is telling you and me he is not the problem I am you come to me and he becomes no problem Yes, you're going to have to fight, but you win. Now, focus your life on me. See, once you get right with me, the problems go away. Yes, the problems are eliminated. We are now in a right relationship, and God is calling us to this warfare. Be strong in the Lord, he says, in the strength of His might. Do you see the emphasis that He is putting on Himself before he ever starts talking about spiritual warfare, he's wanting each and every one of his people, focus your attention on me. And the more you look at me, the smaller Satan becomes. And when I meet with people and they tell me the devil this and the devil that, I know that they're in trouble. Because he's got their attention. He's got their eye. And if you get too wrapped up about about Satan and demonic and spiritual and all that stuff, you will lose sight Of what is truly important. And it can happen in many, many ways. And so be strong, Paul says, in the strength of his might, in the Lord. Put on the armor, take up the armor of God. Get ready to go. And get into the battle. Then he says stand, and we talked about this in the Ephesians series. He says stand four times. Stand against the schemes or the methods. You know, his his ways. And you, you're, you're not supposed to be ignorant of his of his ways. Withstand in the evil day. Having done all, stand. Stand therefore. So he's making an appeal for us not to take a posture in the church of retreat. Now I don't know how many of you have... Pay attention, I have to, because my... my my career, whatever you call it. Uh, uh, But the statistics in the United States and around the world are dire. 85% of churches, and this is all churches, evangelical and mainstream, mainline, what have you, 85% are either plateaued or in decline. Did you know that? 85% plateaued or in decline, which means they're not getting new members and their money is running out. So that means 15% of the churches are doing okay. They're growing and money is coming in and they're able to do the work. When I mention money, I'm saying it only in terms of being able to do the work of ministry. So 85% are plateaued and in decline. Uh, My prayer, and I hope you'll join me, is that we can be in that 15%. Yes? I don't want to be plateaued and I don't want to be in decline. So... And I don't think God wants us to be plateaued or in decline. But those are the figures. And so, is there a battle going on? Yes. And it's a life and death battle because a lot of these churches end up closing their doors. So when Paul says, stand, 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 he's, he's wanting you and I to take a posture. Standing is a posture. Sitting is a posture. Kneeling is a posture. Lying flat on your face. Prostate is a Posture. He's wanting us to stand and fight. And sometimes, I know how it is, folks. You know, life just happens and it beats you up and you're exhausted. You, you, maybe you get sick or a disease or you know, something happens in your marriage or your job or your kids go off the rails or who knows what. It can be any number of things. And it can become exhausting. Where will we find our strength? Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And stand. Do not give up. And that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to stand. Jesus said, if the world hates you, it hated me first. The day you signed on with Jesus, you got trouble. Amen? You got trouble that day. Because a big red target came onto your life. And people from the outside start shooting. The devil and all his world, he starts shooting, and our own conscience, our own inside selves turn and start to condemn us. Yes? We start thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm not a good enough pastor, I'm not a good enough mother, I'm not a good enough father, I'm not a good enough student, I'm not a good enough, and we just start berating each other and our oh I sinned yesterday, oh my goodness, you know, how can I be a Christian and call myself a Christian when I'm doing this or that or the other thing? It can become exhausting. And if you don't embrace the strength of the Lord into your life, believe that He loves you not in spite of your sin, but because of it. He commended His love to you. In this, that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. On your worst day, in my prayers this morning, I was under condemnation and I had to pray that very thing. Lord Jesus, on my worst day, you died for me. Help me remember that you love me. I was forgetting it myself. So you get the idea, right? folks? The idea is that you... You are in a battle. You're going to be assailed from inside outside, and Paul is telling you: be strong in the Lord. Stand. Take up the armor of God. And Jesus told us: you know if the world hates you, it's going to hated me. It's going to hate you. Don't be don't be caught by surprise that things are hard. Don't be surprised that we waited 13 years to find this, but we went through agony. If I told you what this church has been through looking for a building, you wouldn't believe me. And we get it, and we got a long road ahead. You see, there's no. There's no, li- And that's okay. If it was us doing it, I would despair, yes? But it's not just us. It's being strong in the Lord. So we've got to join Him. We are on a war footing. And those of you that are in the military, I don't need to tell you, you know what it is to get the phone call and you're going. You know what that's like. And civilians You know, we may not know it quite the same way, but we know what it is to get the phone call and your son has been in an accident. Or you get the phone call from the doctor, we found something. Please come in, see me tomorrow. You know what I'm saying. We know what that's like. And you're in the battle. You've been called to fight. So don't bring a knife to a gunfight. I want you... But we're going to go to war. Will you follow me? Will you put your hand to the plow? Will you go with me? And I assume that many of you are here are Christians and you said yes the day you got baptized. You said yes. Even if you were an infant, we said yes for you. Which you may not like, but we committed you kids. Alright? So you're in it with us. So don't bring a knife to a gunfight. This is this next couple verses. 14, 15. The articles. I'm not going to go into a lot of a time with this, uh, uh, you, you've heard it, we, we talked about it in the Ephesians series, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots or feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Isn't it interesting that Paul picked these articles of clothing which were battle dress, make no mistake, this is the warrior gear Uh, of a fighting soldier, not just a Roman soldier, but soldiers from time immemorial all wore some version of this gear to fight in a war. And so isn't it interesting though that that he qualifies what the belt and the sword and the boots and the shield are? Because it's so easy for us to want to use uh, uh, weapons of force to run our world. Do you know what I'm saying? What I mean by that is, it's very easy for the church to get caught up in, listen, we can get caught up in our culture and believe that we're going to solve all the problems of the world by electing the right person. Yes? And, and, and I'm not saying that that's not helpful to elect the right person. You sort of want to elect the wrong person, do you? But you can elect the right person, and in God's providence, He can say, No, I'm going to do this and this with you and your country, and that, you know, it's mine after all. I'll do with it what I please. And somehow we lose sight of that, and we think, If I could just get five on the Supreme Court, if I could just get 225 in Congress, if I could just get the right guy in the Oval Office, if we could just do that, if we could. And we start to despair and think that the solutions are political. That's one extreme. The other extreme is what? Don't bother, don't vote. It's, a, you know, it's all going to burn. The rapture's coming any day. And so we don't have to vote. We don't care. We become lethargic or indifferent. And are either one of those or anywhere in between? Let me just ask you, either one of those extremes or anywhere in between, OK? No. The answer is no. Thank you. There's one person here that had some this morning. Thanks, Sarah. Oh, no, it's not okay. You have to be engaged. Part of the battle is praying for our leaders. No matter if it's if if the leader is the devil himself, we are still called to pray for our leaders and support our government and do the best we can. And even if we oppose their policies, we vote. we have the privilege of voting against them. How would you like to live in a country where you don't get to vote against them? It's just it's just what it is, and you take it or leave it, or we'll throw you in jail. So he's he's telling us the armor, the battle gear that you have is not violence. It is peaceful and good. Look at them. Truth. Who would have thought this? We would have said, let's build the biggest air force, the biggest navy, all the tanks we can get, and let's just destroy everything and everyone in our path. Yes? That's happened in history before. That hasn't happened any. What does Paul say? No. Truth. Righteousness. The gospel of peace. Faith. Salvation. The Word of God. Don't you love that, folks? Doesn't that just stir you up? That our great God is telling you, not by might nor by power, but by what? By my Spirit. You see, there's real power there. The other powers come and go. You know where you know where Viking swords are found today? There's generally two places. Do you know where they are? They're in museums, and where's the other place they are? Where? The bottom of the ocean. Now, that ought to be a lesson the Vikings changed the world. You know that, right? I mean, Ragnar, he changed the world. All right. The idea is, folks, that those things perish. This armor cannot, will not fail. And that's got to be a hallmark of your life and a hallmark of this church. In the days to come, first, second, and last. There are six pieces to this armor. Then he mentions prayer, which is what one commentator said is the theater, listen to this, the theater of operations wherein you employ those articles of warfare. Prayer is the theater of operations wherein you employ these articles of warfare. And if you're like me, we struggle, many of us, I struggle with prayer. Now, I'm, I'm taking a chance, being honest with you this morning, and telling you that prayer is difficult for me because I'm a paid professional and I should have at least that going on, right? But I struggle with prayer just like everybody else. And I have to wrestle with praying, and um, I hope that that will encourage you and not discourage you. Uh, a lot of the battle is just actually going to prayer. Getting up and going and finding that 5, 10, 20 minute whatever it is and, and bearing down on it with this armor. Now he doesn't list in the commentaries, there are a few people that say the prayer is the seventh piece of armor. I'm telling you that's probably not the case. Paul does some stuff with the grammar that just does not lead us to thinking prayer is a part of armor. He lists the armor. Then He says, here's how you employ the armor. You go to war in prayer. So we've seen the appeal. I want you. He wants you. He's chosen you for this day. Your whole life. Where in the journey discipleship, we say, where you live, work, and play. In every arena of your life, God wants you engaged. Not just in Christian ministry, but when you're playing soccer. Okay, when you're at Starbucks with your friends and you're just talking whatever, He wants you engaged in every aspect of life, at your job, at your work, where you live, work, and play. He wants to be the center of our universe that we're revolving around Him all the time, focusing on Jesus Christ. And in that atmosphere, that theater of prayer, we are engaging with the enemy, whether it be the outside, inside, our head, uh, or the devil himself. Whatever it is, we are engaged in this way. And finally, very quickly, let me just close with this. Our divine warrior. You know, I love Sinclair Ferguson. He uh, was a professor of mine at school. Uh, and uh, just one of those guys that you, you, wisdom just drips from his lips. I think that's why R.C. has kept him around all these years. Uh, he's just an amazing man. But Sinclair Ferguson, in his little commentary on Ephesians, said this. Listen. Listen. We ought not to think, we're thinking about the divine warrior. Listen, I think this is gold, pure gold right now, so pay attention. We ought not to think, as is sometimes suggested, that this word picture is inspired by Paul's prison experience. Paul was not the kind of prisoner who needed to be guarded by a soldier in full combat gear. We have the idea that Paul was, you know, he was in chains, obviously, because he was in prison. So chains is probably a m- metaphor for being in prison. Uh, but he was not wearing chains every minute of his imprisonment. And he probably didn't have an armed guard around him. He wasn't that kind of a prisoner. And so Ferguson is just speaking commonsensically and saying, this is probably the truth. His prison experience did not warrant him to be guarded by a Roman soldier in combat gear. While there are clear echoes of the armor in a Roman soldier, Ferguson's saying, don't, you know, he's he's obviously saying this soldier looks familiar. It looks like all soldiers, they all have this gear. The basic elements of the armor of God, Ferguson says, are not drawn from the Roman soldier, but from the Old Testament cognates. The Old Testament imagery of the armor of the Lord Himself. His armor. You see, His armor is what Paul is thinking about. Paul was a rabbi. He knew his Scriptures. He knew them perfectly. He memorized them. And so the imagery that Paul was thinking of, breastplate of righteousness and and sword of the Spirit, were all coming from the Old Testament. And in our Ephesian series, I went through this at length, and we just don't have time this morning. But in there are numerous, every single element of armor is mentioned in the Old Testament, sometimes in multiple places. Every one of them. So Paul was drawing from that what he's saying to you, God is saying to you, I have called you, and I have given you not the armor of a Roman soldier, not the armor of a 21st century. Uh, infantry Brigade com- Commando uh, in the American Army. Not the, in- not the armor of an SAS Special Ops guy in, in England. I haven't given you the armor uh, of, a, uh, uh, of an Israeli Special Operations Commando. No, I've given you my armor. Armor that is perfectly suited for the battle into which you've been called. a spiritual battle. And this armor will not fail you. See, Jesus is like David. Jesus is our David. Facing the serpent's Goliath. And believe it or not, although Jesus was stripped naked, every day of His life, He wore the armor of God. And at some point, most of us believe, most scholars believe, and I agree with them, most scholars believe that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he knelt down and prayed to his Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but nevertheless not my will, but your will be done, that at that moment, for the first time in his life, the armor started to come off. And he was exposed. He willingly became unclothed so that that armor could be Fitted for you and for me. So Paul says with all the gusto he can muster, take it up. Put it on. Stand. It's yours. It was bought and paid for in the in the richest blood available. It cost a life to get you this armor. Put it on. Take it up. Let's move out. Let's go. That's what he's saying to us. That's what these little pictures up here mean. As as cool as they are, they have a bigger meaning, folks, that we've been called into this battle. I hope that you'll do it. Will you do it? Will you trust him and enter the battle? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, we are so very grateful to you, our great God, for what you've done for us in Jesus our Lord. I don't know, after five or six days, I start to forget how much you love me. And I have to be reminded, and I'm grateful that we can come to your Word and to this beautiful sacrament of bread and wine, which represent the life of our Savior. And be reminded that He loves us, that He is clothing us with His robes of righteousness, His own armor that we can face whatever battles come into our lives, no matter how old we are, whether we're a little child or an older person facing the end of our days, whatever it is, Father, You have clothed us with the best armor, armor that will not fail. And though the world may slay us and put us to death, as many, as many hymn writers have said, the lower He lays me, the higher I will be raised. The lower the world lays us, Father, the higher we will be raised. And our hope and strength is in You. Please be with us, Father, in this endeavor as we go forward, as we live our lives daily, and uh, in the future of our church. We pray, please, in Christ's name, fill us with Your Spirit and feed us now, we pray, in our hearts by faith. Amen.